Welcome to the Nurse Shark Academy Show, a Baxter Professional Services production. Welcome to the Nurse Shark Academy Show. The Nurse Shark Academy Show highlights nurse business owners and others in the healthcare field who promote entrepreneurship. We interview nurse leaders and encourage them to tell their story. My mission is for you to own your seat at the table of nurse entrepreneurship, gaining confidence, skills, and freedom to live your life on your own terms. You will dream big and expand your consciousness as an entrepreneur. Join us and support these wonderful nurse entrepreneurs and leaders. Today's episode is how one nurse turned a concierge business into an international enterprise. And our guest today is Giselle Medham. Attention nurses, looking to take your nursing knowledge and turn it into a viable business? Ready to take action, but don't know where to start? Join the Nurse Shark Academy. We support nurses as business owners and leaders. We offer career and entrepreneurial coaching for nurses or other healthcare professionals. Whether you're a brand new nurse, a seasoned health professional, or building a startup, join a community of support. Entrepreneurship can be lonely, but it doesn't have to be. Our career and business coaching services are designed to help you achieve the life or balance you desire. Our experienced coaches will help you identify and attain your career and business goals, enabling you to become more successful in both your personal and professional life. I'm Tina Baxter. I founded the Nurse Shark Academy because I believe every nurse is a hero on his or her own epic journey. Nurses are launching new businesses every day. You don't have to do it alone. Join the Nurse Shark Academy and get the support, training, and coaching that you need to launch your successful nurse business. Become a member at the NurseSharkAcademy.biz. Hello and welcome to the Nurse Shark Academy show. The Nurse Shark Academy show highlights nurse business owners and others in the healthcare field who promote entrepreneurship. We interview nurse leaders and encourage them to tell their story. Today's guest is Giselle Metum and Giselle is located in the UK. She's in London. She's a co-founder and executive director of operations at Meta Health, a medical concierge service. Welcome to the show, Giselle. Thank you so much, Tina. And thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I was so thrilled to meet you and to hear about what you're doing over um, in the UK. And you happen to be our very first international guest. Yay, that's fantastic. Excellent. Thank I you. Think, oh, that's so wonderful to hear what nurses are doing all over and uh, to really spotlight nurses. It's just just for me, it's just so gratifying. So I'm going to ask you that first hard-hitting question, right, that we always ask, what made you become a nurse? Oh, well, um, I've always been a people person and I've always wanted to help people. My 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 mom and my, my grandmother were very kind people and they were always helping people. So they um, kind of instilled that from in me from, from a young age. And in terms of nursing per se, it was actually, I was motivated when my dad was, was ill and had to be hospitalized. And um, I just wanted never to be in a position where I didn't understand what was happening with my dad or my mom in the future. Well, you know what, that's great. And often that catalyst may be a sick loved one, a sick pet, or just being around, you know, others in the healthcare field. How did your parents feel about you becoming a nurse, just out of curiosity? 
And they were really excited. I think they always knew that I would become either a nurse or a doctor. Um, and they just wanted me to do what would make me happy. Um, and so they were thrilled when I decided I wanted to become a nurse because it, they knew that it meant that I would be helping people, spending my life helping people. Oh, that's wonderful. So tell me a little bit about your your background. Where did you go to school and what was your first nursing job? Um, so I am... Um, I've had quite an, an international existence. Um, so I come from um, the Caribbean originally and um, have lived in, in the UK for most of my life. So I, I did some schooling in the Caribbean, but most of my um, tertiary education has been in the UK, as a matter of fact, all of it. So I studied nursing um, here in the UK and did my master's and various courses um, here in the UK. So that's kind of my educational background. Um, and my first nursing job um, was in cardiac nursing, so to do with the heart. And it was actually, it was my first ward because um, in our training, you know, we have the kind of, um, the, all the education, all the theoretical training, mm -hmm. and then and then we have our placements, right? And right. my first placement was on a cardiac ward, and I knew from that moment that I wanted to be a cardiac nurse because I just loved it. There was something so special about nursing people whose engines or their hearts, you know, there was something wrong with their hearts. So the psychology, the psychology of that, really drew me to those patients. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. I'm always curious about why certain specialties and what draws people to those specialties. Um, and so tell me a little bit about your nursing journey, uh, because you, you went to graduate school. What did you uh, study in graduate school? Um, so I, um, I did uh, initially, I'd started doing um, a, a postgraduate degree in nursing, and I decided then that I wanted to make a switch because I, I wanted to challenge myself. And so I ended up going straight to um, a master's program. Um, and that was in applied research and quality evaluation because I wanted to understand more about how policy was developed. So we have all these policies in health and social care, right? Right. And I wanted to understand um, how how they were developed, how um, research was used, you know, because we talk about evidence-based practice. And so I wanted to understand more about how that was done and how it would shape policy. And obviously the quality element was really important because what's the point of having a policy in healthcare if it isn't, if the focus isn't on the quality of the healthcare? So, so my master's degree in applied research and quality evaluation brought all of those things together. Oh, that sounds that sounds great. Uh, that, we always preach about evidence based practice, but yet I think sometimes there's still a lot that we do because we've always done it that way. Yeah, right. Yeah, and it's great to see nurses taking um, the initiative to really develop the studies and develop the policies that inform how we do nursing today. So I applaud you for that 
thank you. Thanks very yeah, much. Yeah, I think that's awesome. So where did you go from there when you got your graduate degree? Did you stay at the same hospital? Were you still in cardiac or? Yeah, so I, I, I can honestly say I was so in love with cardiac nursing that um, when I was a, a, a nurse in practice, I always worked in cardiac care in one form or the other. So after I did my my um, my master's degree, I at the time I was doing research. So I was doing research in cardiac care, specifically um, pacemakers and defibrillators. So the electrical, uh, the electrophysiology of, of the heart, because that fascinated me. Um, and from there, I went into project management and service improvement and service transformation. So I um, was part of a, a huge organization, um, which was a network. And the focus of that organization was transforming um, cardiac care across the county. Okay, okay. And so uh, you started with the organization, you kind of grew in what you were doing. So you were actually helping to get some of the the policies and the research done to help the nurses that were still you know working bedside and they're going to implement what you came up with right yeah absolutely and part of that you know part of um what i was trying to do was to help with nursing education um at the time because i wanted the nurses to be upskilled um mm -hmm. and to to start really focusing on on that evidence-based practice um, so that they could, you know, in, improve the quality of the care that they were giving. So that was a really exciting time for me. And after that, I went into um, operational management um, and kind of progressed up to senior operational management up, up until um, board of director level. So um, my kind of last um, post before I became an entrepreneur um, was senior operational management. So I had, um, I was in charge of hospitals and, and that was quite a challenge working 18 hour days. And, you know, being in charge of, you know, A&E departments and cancer care and outpatients and, you know, all those things that make up, um, the healthcare system. So that that was a huge challenge and it was certainly character building. <laughs> so before we get into your entrepreneurial journey, what what was the biggest lesson you learned being um, at that level, what we call the C-suite level, right? That boardroom level. And how did you how did you navigate to that? Because I imagine it's got to be challenging um, as a nurse. Yeah. And uh, to try to uh, sometimes have that seat at the table. So tell me a little bit about that experience. Well, I mean, that was that was quite interesting um, uh, because when you're a nurse on the ground or even as a middle manager, you know, you if you're working in a hospital, you're working in an organization, you get messages from the board of directors you don't really have a sense of how those decisions are made and, you know, where the decision is made and how the decision is made to communicate to the rest of the hospital or the organisation. So that was quite eye-opening um, for me. Um, it, it was just really interesting. And I think 
what okay so what what i learned about that was that what's really important especially as nurses that you do, it doesn't matter what role you play um it doesn't matter how high you climb or who your colleagues are what's really important that we're always the patient's advocate and that we keep the patient at the center of everything that we do um, and always think of the patients as your relative, your mom, your dad, um, and your decision making then will be sound. And that's that's what I learned. So um, I've always carried that, you know, with me, whatever role I played. And I've played so many. I mean, I've given you the, the condensed version. Right. I've played so many roles in, in the healthcare system. But that's been my constant. And, you know, I tried never to lose that, even when I was on the board of directors. And in actual fact, um, sometimes when decisions were being made, you know, I would ask the question, you know, what about the patients? What about the carers? Um, and I'm quite proud of that. Well, well, I want to thank you for being an advocate in that arena. And uh, having served on boards myself, it is sometimes very difficult to make those decisions when you're looking at uh, budgets and um, allocating resources and making sure that you're fair and equitable. You know, those are things that that can be a challenge because you you want to help everyone. But in sometimes if you try to help everyone, you help no one. Yes. And how do how do you make those decisions? And so uh, that's great. So when you transition to entrepreneurship what was that like and how did you decide to become an entrepreneur um so that's i mean that is the million dollar question isn't it um really interesting i think so i'm going to be really honest um i think when you work in the healthcare system for a long time um and you're giving of yourself constantly. Um, and you get to the point where you start questioning yourself and, you know, why you're there. Yes. Um, and you get to the point where there's this, this feeling of um, not being appreciated. And when that kind of overtakes um, your joy, in, in what you're doing in terms of, you know, the health, you know, whatever job yeah. you're doing, then you, you have to start thinking, um, what do I have to do to grab that joy back? What is it that's going to make me feel really happy? Because there's something happening here. There's a chemical reaction occurring here, which means that I am not the same person I was. And I, you know, I don't, you know, I'm driving to work or whatever it is, and I'm not feeling joy. So um, I need to do something different. You know, I still want to have an impact on people's lives. But perhaps I want to be able to do that maybe a little bit on my terms, because I've given so much. So yes. now it's time to do something on, on, on my terms and, and grab that joy back so that I can feel um, that I'm making a difference um, but doing it in a way that suits, you know, my, my work, you know, work-life balance and, you know, all those things that come into play when you're making such a big decision, because it is a huge decision. Um, 
And I think that people underestimate the transition. That, and, <laughs> <laughs> <right>. Definitely. <laughs> we have this idea that we're just going to go hang out our shingle and all the money is going to come and all the clients are going to come yeah 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 absolutely I mean because you you know you you've got good intentions and you know you want to make a difference and you you know you 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 know you've got this amazing vision and people say that's absolutely fantastic you you do as you say you think that the clients are just going to come and that you know things will fall into place and and you know when that doesn't happen it's a it's a bit of a shock to the system you think okay no 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 you've made this decision to do this now you've just got to do it um and so i i think that transition psychology is really important in all of this and the journey that you take um, through that transition. You know, having said all of that, I'm glad that I made it. I'm glad that I made that decision. I think it was the best decision for me. And, and I want I want to pause there because that's so important. Um, a lot of times nurses are afraid to try something new, do something different, or even put themselves first. And I always say, you know, you need to you have to shore up your own resources before you can continue to give out to other people. You know, the whole saying, if you can't give from an empty well, and I think a lot of nurses right now are struggling with that emptiness, but don't know what to do or, or how to um, navigate that. Yeah. Uh, So tell me about your business, because I'm curious, you said you have your uh, medical concierge business. So what is it that you do at your business? Okay, um, so what we do essentially is, um, let, let me put it this way, before I get to that, answer that question, you know, there's something contextual that's really important. And that's the fact that COVID has left us this legacy of waiting for healthcare. Um, and that's a global issue. It's, um, yes. Yes. you know, it's, it's a global issue and it's a very, um, pressing global issue okay and and you know it's 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 the same everywhere and it's just a matter of how different countries organize their healthcare systems um that kind of determines how well they cope with that legacy because we've all got it um and so with meta health so we are a medical concierge company as you said and we, what we do, we, we want to support with that issue because waiting for healthcare, you know, everyone's got the right um, to have healthcare, whoever they are. And waiting for healthcare can be painful, it can be distressing, it can be frustrating. Um, and what we wanted to do is provide people with an option, you know, with an option to have healthcare that's rapid, affordable, perhaps in a different country, but getting that healthcare as soon as you can, good value for money with the best outcome possible, because that's what most people want. And that's essentially what, that's essentially what we provide at MetaHealth. So we support international clients to come to the UK to have private, high quality, um, rapid, affordable, private healthcare. Um, and what we essentially do is we, we do a healthcare needs assessment with that person. 
And based on that healthcare needs assessment, along with their diagnostic profile, so their blood results, scan results, images, etc., um, we find them the right consultant to give them the best outcome possible for them. We're connected to a network of world-leading clinical specialists in the UK, um, all at the top of their game. And um, once someone um, discusses with us what, what their issue is, we can then go out to the network and find the person who will give them the outcome that they're looking for. And that's really important. You know, what is it they're looking for? Um, what's their lifestyle? Um, wh what what does good look like for them? Um, and then matching them. And we're very niche in the way that we match the, um, the consultant with the patient. And that's because we know that a good match will produce the best result possible. Yes. I'll give you an example of that. Um, we have a number of very um, highly qualified, experienced orthopedic surgeons. And they, you know, they do, you know, you've got hips, knees, legs, I mean, um, feet, hands, you know, you name mm -hmm. it. Um, if, if someone who is a young person and who's athletic needs a knee replacement or a hip replacement, so for instance, Andy Murray, who's um, a, a, one of our best tennis players in the UK, had hip replacements. Um, the person that we would get to operate on that sportsman or that young person who wants to continue playing sports or they live a very active lifestyle would be slightly different to the um, the surgeon that we get to to operate on an older person and um, not because of discrimination but because of the fact that in in older people the pathology is, is slightly different you've got all this wear and tear and um, and so you want someone who's used to working on yes. old, so older joints. By the same token, if it's someone who's sporty, you want someone who has um, an interest in sports medicine and who has worked on sports people before and got them back to what they were doing before. So and that's what I mean about we're very niche in the way that we select the right consultant for the patient and um, for the client. Now, what we also do is we arrange airport transfers, we arrange accommodation for two people because we encourage the client to bring uh, uh, someone with them if they can. Um, we arrange all of the medical appointments um, for them and transport within London because most of our um, experts are kind of concentrated in London. There's some in other places, but those are the ones that we work with. And so we look after them, taking all the stress and the burden away of all those arrangements. And we look after them from the moment they arrive in the UK to the time they go back home. Um, and our ethos is to treat every single client as if they were a father, mother, um, brother, or if it was us, how would we want to be treated? So that's our ethos. Um, the other thing to say is that our USP um, is that we tend to work with surgeons who employ minimally invasive methods. And that's because we want our clients to have minimal cuts, not open ones, if, if we can avoid them, minimal pain, minimal trauma, um, 
minimize the risk of um, complications and of infection so that they can have a faster recovery and then go to do some sightseeing in London or to Europe. <laughs> that sounds wonderful. I'm just thinking, I don't know how you can do a hip and, and, and do minimum invasive surgery, but that's always fascinating to hear. That's not my specialty. So, <laughs> Oh, right. Right. So I'd like, you know, I can, if you, if, if you'd like me to give you an example, I can do that. Sure. sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I mean, I've seen hip surgery done, you know, when I was in training and I, and I went into theatre, I saw hip surgery done and it was the most brutal thing. I nearly fainted. I was a student yeah. nurse at the time. And, <laughs> nearly and, um, and as we know, it is one of the most brutal. So, I mean, those theatres look like carpentry shops, right? Mm -hmm. um, and when you see someone with a hip, with who's had hip surgery, um, you, you think, the pain you can see the pain etched on their faces a, a lot of the time and it takes them a long time to recover and they yes. tend to have massive scars so you can't miss the scar right because mm -hmm. they're you know these massive scars on you know on their leg on their hips um we work with a clinic um in london where the surgeons take a completely different a revolutionary approach to hip surgery okay and here's why, because to, you know, more traditional, even when it's minimally invasive, more traditional surgery, you, they either go in through the posterior or the anterior, and that means that they've got to cut through muscle and they've got to move the nerves. And so that's why patients are in so much pain because they've had their hip broken out, then they've had muscles cut and, and, yes. um, and nerves interfered with. With this particular approach, um, the angle of the cut means that um, they're cutting in between. So they're not they're not cutting any muscles. They just move the muscles gently aside and they don't touch the nerves. And so with this particular approach to hip surgery, um, less blood loss, less pain, less trauma to the soft tissues um, and a really fast recovery. Let, let me explain that and oh and the sky is four centimeters long not oh, four wow. in <laughs> four centimeters um so let me explain this the patients are up and eating an hour after they get back to the ward which is amazing to me and then yeah, yeah right and then on the same day they're walking around with the physiotherapist on the same day of surgery within a couple of hours and they get discharged the next day. Wow. So when this was described to me, I thought, oh, wow, that really? <laughs> this, uh, you know, I was incredulous. I thought, this is absolutely amazing. So we had a patient not long ago, an 83-year-old gentleman who went through the process and it happened exactly the same way that it was described. He was up and eating. Um, an hour after he came back to the ward, he's walking around um, a couple of hours later, got discharged the next day, 83, and he was doing stairs the next day. Oh, wow. That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I've right. seen hip surgery. Yeah. And it's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
<laughs> I saw the mallet and the, the sticking the joint in like <laughs> oh that sounds wonderful and I'm like I'm like shoot why aren't we doing the more of that in the US <laughs> and and what's really interesting and you know for your listeners this is this is this is what's really shocking about it what I've described sounds like something in the future but it's happening in the UK now. And what is amazing is that when you think about the cost, so someone thinks, well, okay, well, what, how much does it cost? That must be really expensive. Um, how much is a, a, a hip surgery operation in, in the US? Oh, I don't know. I'd have to Google that real quick. <laughs> it's gotta be very <laughs> expensive. <laughs> when, I Googled, when I last Googled it, it was between fifty and seventy thousand, depending on state, etc. Yep, that's about right. Yeah, and mm -hmm. that—that's just the surgery, um, without all the add-ons that tend to happen in, in the U.S. that I've seen exactly. myself. Right. Um. So that. So say it's maybe say it's about sixty to seventy thousand. Realistically, could be a bit more. That's just the surgery. We have a package for the hip surgery that I have just described that includes the surgery, four weeks accommodation for two people, um, airport transfers, the transport, um, arranging all the medical appointments, um, pre-x-ray, post-x-ray, um, the consultation with the specialist and follow-up. So it includes all of that. What do you think that would be if you were to put a, a figure on that? I guess. I'm oh my gosh! You. I I I would easily think that it'd have to be like like a hundred thousand. I'm just thinking about the, the accommodations alone for four weeks. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes, it's a it's it's yeah, it's a long time. Um, and it's really interesting because every time I've asked a nurse in the U.S. how much they think that would cost. That's exactly the figure they come up with, about 100,000 for all of that. Um, and the reason it's four weeks is because they have a four week check. It's not that they, they, they're recovering and, you know, most of them are, you know, fine in, in terms of their recoveries, just that there's a four week check, which we want them to have before they go back home mm -hmm. and, you know, make sure that everything's all right. They have a check x-ray and that sort of thing. But our package that I've just described actually costs around 27,000 US dollars, 27 to 28,000. That is amazing. Yeah. 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 So, and this is what I mean about people having options. Mm -hmm. You know, so someone could fly from the US first class, stay in a really amazing hotel and still pay less than 50% of what they would pay, um, in the US compared to the price here in the UK. That's amazing. <laughs> I, I, I'm just like, it's like, we're, yeah, uh, our healthcare system is not geared to saving money. I can tell you that much. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> and this is, this is one of the reasons why we're so passionate about what we do, because not only can we help people to get the outcome, the health outcomes that they, they want so they can live their life to the full. But, you know, it's saving that it could save them money. And people go to Thailand and Mexico and all these places 
Um, and I'm sure the healthcare is fine. How you, but you hear these stories about what's happening to them. Yeah. And I always think with healthcare, you know, it's hard enough when you speak the same language. <laughs> <laughs> so we think we speak the same language, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> how many times have you come out of the doctor's um, surgery or you know you've spoken to a consultant and you think what did you mean by that and you yeah. speak the same language so how are you you know how do you navigate when you you're not speaking the same language or it's spoken in in an accent that you perhaps don't recognize and 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 you're not 100 percent comfortable with so i always think with healthcare minimize the risk as much as you possibly can <laughs> yeah, yeah definitely and what you what you're describing sounds so um innovative and how did you come up with the model i mean how did you get introduced to the company or or because it says you're a co-founder so how did you all come up with it okay so um most of a lot of my decisions i was really close to my dad who sadly passed away now but i um I was very, very close to him, uh, close to my 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 mum as well, um, <clears throat> and so there was a time when my, my my dad was ill and needed a spinal operation, and he um, lived in the Caribbean, and I thought to myself, I don't want him to have an operation there. <clears throat> I want him to have the best possible care. So. I was, you know, working at a hospital at the time. I did extensive research. I found the best neurosurgeon in the UK. I made all the arrangements for him. He came over, saw the consultant. He said, yes, we need to do an operation. And um, it was an operation, quite, you know, a major operation on his spine. So I was terrified, as you would be. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, the surgeon described the fact that he would be in ICU. And as a nurse, particularly, when you hear ICU, what do you think? You're thinking tubes, they look, you know, mm -hmm. oh, they're asleep. It's not, it's not a good image in your head. Right. So I remember waiting to hear. I was sitting with my brothers and, you know, we were chatting away and we were waiting. And... Um, to hear from the surgeon. I remember him coming out. He just operated on my dad. He came out and he said, you know, the operation went well. And surgeons will say that because it's from their point of view. Right. The, mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. They're still yeah. alive breathing. <laughs> it went well. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so you're thinking, I just, I need to see myself because I don't know what, I'm glad it went well. I'm thrilled. I need to see my dad. And I um, I remember walking down. He said, you can go and see him. And I remember shaking. And I was walking down the corridor, massive corridor. It was a private hospital. And we were going towards the ITU. Um, and I remember the door leading to the ITU, this double door. My knees weren't taking me where I wanted them to go. I had to hold on to my brother. And we were walking down the corridor and as we got to the door, I was I was at the front and I remember trying to push the door, but I didn't have the strength to do it because I was so nervous about what I would see, you know, how my father would be looking. I was thinking all these tubes and, you know, my imagination was going wild, you know, because he's had major spinal surgery. 
Mm-hmm. So I remember my brother actually pushed the door open. And as the door opened, my father was the first um, patient. And when I saw him, he looked as if he was sitting up um, having this really lovely meal of salmon. And he looked as if he'd had the best facial ever. His skin looked amazing because he had spinal stenosis. So he, you know, he, before then he just didn't look well. His skin looked amazing and he smiled and he said, come in. And, you know, that's when I, I kind of gave way to tears because of the relief. I couldn't believe what I saw. And then I was looking for where, you know, I, I thought he'd be on a, on a board, you know, on a stability board, on, yeah. you know. So none of the things that I envisaged, I saw. And that confused me, And but I was relieved at the same time. And you what really stood out halo and <laughs> Yeah, right? Yeah. Hips, you know, like, and all I saw was this plaster on his neck. That was it. And that was where the operation was done because it was a minimally invasive operation. Wow. And we were there for 20 minutes. We were obviously overjoyed. I was in tears. I was so happy. And then he said, oh, you have to go now because I've got to have my physio. He just had a major spinal operation. Um, And to cut that long story short, you know, he was discharged three days later and he recovered really well. And I remember thinking, I want to do this for other people. I want other daughters to experience this. I want sons and wives and husbands. And I thought, I want to do this for other people. And that's where the idea came from. That's amazing. That is amazing. And I I, I say kudos to you because I never would have thought to do that and have it open to international clients that can you know afford to pay cash i don't know if in the maybe later they could turn into their insurance i don't know but i just think that's amazing to me that that you came up with this concept and was able to implement it how long have you been been around with your um company yeah well before i I answer that just to pick up that issue with the insurance we Mm -hmm. do have people who um whose healthcare gets paid for by the insurance because some American companies or international companies actually, you know, if they're going to be saving money, they support their clients going elsewhere. And because the UK is quite recognised in terms of the quality of care that's delivered here, um, the insurance would be would be happy to pay for the UK for them to come to the UK rather than go to Turkey or you know Thailand or Mexico or somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not. You know, I'm not dispelling what they do at all, but that's just the reality. Um, and so we do have clients that have their um, their insurance pay for their for their healthcare. Um, and sometimes what they do is they pay for it by credit card, and then the insurance reimburses them. Okay. Yeah. You know, I was just thinking, and here I am doing prior authorizations. <laughs> They get a medicine that costs four dollars. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> I just think our healthcare system is just missing the boat in some some ways. I mean, there's just 
some things that they could do to that are really cost effective oh, and I, have better patient outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so to answer your question about how long we've been up and running, um, we actually launched just before COVID. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then, of course, COVID hit and that was it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, but we just, you know, as soon as things started opening up, we, you know, we started getting that momentum going again. We're still in that process of, you know, getting the momentum going and 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 getting people to think about the options that they have um the safe options that they have for healthcare. Well, I think that's wonderful because I I like the idea of people having options. You yeah. know, what works for one person may not work for the other and um I I had a, a niece who flew I think it was to Honduras to have a surgery. Because she just didn't, it was a cosmetic surgery. She just didn't want to have it here in the U.S. because it was too expensive. And I think she ended up getting getting that done. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's sad that in the U.S., healthcare is so expensive. And if you don't have insurance and you're not quite eligible for um, federal insurance or state insurance, you kind of have to pay everything out of pocket. Yeah. Yeah. So unfortunately yeah well i want to i want to say thanks for for coming on the show and giving us this great information i think that's wonderful i did see that you did have um an offer for our listeners and so uh you want to tell us about the offer yeah just um you know the the thing that makes up the um our treatment packages um you know like the one that that I've just explained, i.e. the hip replacement. We don't have packages for absolutely everything, but there are certain packages. Um, you know, so we have the cost of the treatment and and that is combined with the, the meta health fee. So our fee for, you know, the concierge fee. Um, and that kind of makes up the treatment package. And so the offer for the for your listeners is that if they, um, and this is open until um, December the 31st, if they... Um, okay, well, want, your episode probably won't go up till January. Oh. <laughs> Just to warn you. <laughs> okay, okay. So, okay, so I need to, so say January 31st. Okay. Um, when, when in January? Will it, um, yeah, so until the you know kind of till the end of January they could have 10% off if they use the special code um that we've given which is um Tina B10 yeah um and so they can have 10% off the meta health fee okay that's great well i hey listeners if you're hearing that that's 10% off of already discount if you're in the US if you're anywhere else in the world i don't know what a discount would be for your healthcare but you know what 10% is 10% and that can add up and that would be a great cost savings and so i want to thank you for offering that to our listeners because i think that's wonderful and thank so you. our last question is if you were to talk to a budding entrepreneur or a nurse who wants to start out, what would be your best advice? Um, 
my best advice would be do your market research spend a lot of time doing your market research and make sure that if you're going to have a business partner make sure that that person has skills that complement to yours and definitely. that they're as committed as you are yes most definitely because you know what you may end up in a pandemic and you got to put things on hold <laughs> you got to keep the team together right to keep the dream alive <laughs> yeah, absolutely and it and it's just this thing about measuring twice and cut once Yes. Yes. <laughs> exactly. So we can, they can your listeners can reach you at metahealth.uk. That's M E T T A H E A L T H dot UK or email you at inquiries at metahealth.uk. Yes. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you for your time. It was great having you. We could talk for hours, uh, but it's time for us to go. So I want to thank everyone for tuning in to the Nurse Shark Academy show. Don't forget to check out our other podcasts. Uh, watch us on YouTube and subscribe. Leave us a comment. Follow us on Podbean or wherever you get your podcasts. We are there. And you can always join us at the Nurse Shark Academy.biz as well. Thank you for uh, tuning in and see you next time. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're more than welcome. My mission is for you to own your seat at the table of nurse entrepreneurship, gaining confidence, skills, and freedom to live your life on your own terms. I specialize in working with nurses and other health professionals who want to reduce burnout, pessimism, and compassion fatigue. So you can become a successful entrepreneur to reclaim the love you have for your profession and to create a fulfilling and prosperous life. Join the Nurse Shark Academy at the NurseSharkAcademy.biz and come fill the sun, providing a clear path for business success. Thank you for listening to the Nurse Shark Academy show wherever you get your podcasts or watching us on YouTube. Don't forget to like and subscribe and don't forget to hit the notification bell so that you'll know when all of our episodes come out. If you want further information, you can contact us on the nurse shark academy.biz.